Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judd is getting started right now. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Kenny. Yeah, fill out uh, Matthew Collin for him. Okay, tell me again. So the car flipped off of where? It was northbound 494, got in a crash, ended up under 494 on 394. Started on, started on fire, too. Mackie and Judd. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? I can't wait to watch it now. Dropping the gloves. Sealer for a while. Who's going at it with Luke Wachowski? Oh, these guys are chucking him, Kenny. I'll tell you what. I mean, you don't see fights like this much anymore. And these two guys just reared back and they let each other have it. And both benches, I mean, they got right up. And Sealer's one of those guys, he brings an element to the wild that they don't have a lot of, and that's some physicality on the back end. Bruce Boudreau talked to us about that this morning, and, and Luke Witkowski, you got a guy that obviously is not afraid to to mix things up as well. Uh, he's a tough customer, I, and I knew that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's hockey. It was a good fight, and, you know, I'm glad it went well for are both you, of us. So. Are you normally a rapid-fire puncher like that? Or? Uh, I don't know. It depends. Yeah. You know, it's kind of in the moment, um, you know, and... Just try to protect yourself first, but you know, in that in that case, we were kind of both throwing, so um, that was kind of that fight. So, so Collar, my uh, my regular co-host on the show, Phil Mackey, has often asked me, "What's the point of fighting in hockey?" And as the sport has progressed and become, you know, more about skill, certainly, I often have trouble trying to tell him that, that a fight makes much sense. In this case, last night though, the Wilds down one nothing. They've come out after losing two in a row on the road, including getting waxed by Colorado. They come out last night against Detroit, which is not a good team. They are, again, the wildest flat. They go down one zip, one rip, and then uh, the Red Wings player tries to deliver what would have been a dirty knee-on-knee hit on Parisi. Sealer steps up and fights him. And for the first time in a long time, if Phil was here, I could actually tell him a fight made some sense because then the Wild became engaged after that fight. It made some sense. I, I always struggle with this. I know, but think about it. This one made... I'm not saying that it, it's... I, I'm on the side of that fighting should go away. All I'm saying is last night, that fight seemed to get this team engaged in a game that it otherwise was bored by. It's nice that someone on the wild showed some emotion and showed some passion and some energy for the game, but they're just a better team than the Detroit Red Wings, and I don't think that it made a bit of difference. See, they're a better team than Arizona as well, and they lost that game. The Wild reminds me, I've I've been trying to think of how to put this team into context. 
The Wild reminds me of a group of grade school kids who are actually not that dumb, but they have but they have no attention span. And so the Wild has this deal where they start games like they did last night, and you're like, okay, you're playing a team at home that's not that good because I'm with you. Detroit's not that good. And if you were engaged at all in this game, you would probably score six goals. I think what we saw last night, though, was what got them engaged in this game was a fight, and that is a few and far between case now in this league. Well, I, mean, I really I, think it maybe, made a difference last maybe. night. Maybe I mean, you can't go back and replay it again without the fight. I think that uh, Detroit is a team that sold at the deadline. They traded away one of their best scorers to Vegas for draft picks, making it pretty clear that they were throwing up the white flag. They haven't been good in about three years, and whether you fight or don't fight a guy, that's a game where you should easily run that team out of the building. I mean, yeah, they lost to Arizona, but that's more reason to say that this is very typical of the Minnesota Wild. It's what they do, that they lose games that you just cannot believe that they would ever lose or don't show up for games that you can't believe you don't show up for Arizona or you blow a lead or something like that, and then they get yelled at by Bruce Boudreaux, and then they come back and say, no, 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 we're still good, we're still good, and then they have a good game. I mean, we've seen this for, for years and years. So, I mean, I just, it's it's been looked at many, many times with fights and everything else. Why would the Wild get inspired but not Detroit? Or you know, right? and, I'm not, I mean, and I'm not it, saying that, that it happens a lot now, but I thought last night that was that was the clear key, and I believe by the time that uh, that the players got out of the penalty box after they served their major penalties, the Wild had scored two goals. So I'm not saying across the board that fighting works. What I'm telling you is we had evidence last night, and and this also, Collar, this is an indictment against the Wild. It shouldn't have taken that. Like that shouldn't be that shouldn't be the necessary. You just got drilled by the by. Colorado on Friday night, 7-1, correct? Mm-hmm. You just got absolutely obliterated by a up-and-coming nice team. I don't think Colorado is certainly could be considered to be a great team. And you went on the road. You lost to the Coyotes, which is a bad team, uh, for the second time in essentially a month. And then you go to Colorado the next night, and instead of picking it up, you say, oh, you know what, oh boy, this one's tough, and you get beat 7-1. to This is the indictment against this team that they need things like this, that they that – they, how do you not come out last night flying? You just got drilled by six goals. Yeah, you right. You should come out of the gate looking a little better. I just we've heard this so many times from every time that Chris Stewart would fight, it would be the same thing. Oh, we need and mm. the and the locker room is always going to back those guys. So of course you're going to get quotes and you're going to get players out of the locker room saying, "Yeah, that got us going. That inspired us." I mean, first of all, if you really need some kid to fight somebody to get inspired when you're in a playoff race, then I can't really help you. But they do, and and, and I you know that I just I don't believe in it. I don't think it's ever had any sort of real effect, actual effect. And I have watched hockey my entire life, so don't give me oh, I watch I what I I watched okay. when the fighters were at their peak when Tony Twist was in the league. Well, that wasn't the peak. And, and that, I, that was nice, but that was not the, the peak. I think that Dave that the Hammer the, Schultz no, in 1975, I think, I think, that was probably the peak. I think the peak is when they became professional fighters. Like, not just hockey players who would throw them down, but actual, like, guys who had the one role to just go out that was and the 70s. people. Each team had three guys. I think, well, either way, it was still that way in the 90s. It was still that way when you had Tony Twist, Rob Ray, all those guys who were fighting all the time. I mean, that's the thing is I come from a city where they had Rob Ray, who is beloved in Buffalo. And I don't think it makes a darn bit of difference whether you win or lose a game.
All if right. you get a fight or not. I don't care what okay. the players say. It's been studied. It's been looked Let at me run a this million past you. times. I don't think it makes any Let difference me run this to what the then. wild are. Let me run this past you. How about this? I believe that you are 1,000% correct if it's a staged fight. So if it's Chris Stewart jumping over the boards and saying, I'm going to go spark the boys, and I'm going to go, it's fourth line, fourth line, and I'm going to pick their biggest guy and fight him, I think it helps you nil. doesn't help you at all. The difference in this one was the the Red Wings player tried to throw a cheap shot on Parisi, and Sealer went and fought him immediately in a completely non-stage fight. I think that's a big difference. If it's staged, I think it's probably garbage. If it is spontaneous and true, I think it can help a team. But as I'm telling you, Collar, I also think that this is an indictment of the Wild that they even needed that after you lose by six goals in Colorado. I think you should have come out last night absolutely flying and taken a three-goal lead in, in the first period and buried Detroit from the start of the game. I don't think you should have taken that. And that's where this team drives me nuts. Well, okay, the the point about the Wild lacking passion and being inconsistent is 100% true. And again, if you need this to get you going to win a game that's important, then I can't really help you. Uh, But, I mean, when it comes to the actual concept of how much this helped or did not help, Mm -hmm. I think it helped a lot more that you were playing the Detroit Red Wings than it did that you had a, a fight here. Because I could show you a thousand other examples of... Thing, where, where this happens, where you see a guy get a, a dirty hit and then they throw down and then nothing happens for 10 minutes in the game. Or, I mean, I think it's just we saw this and then that and then wanted to connect those two things, even though there really isn't an actual connection there. And of course, the players are going to put it together because they want to praise the kid. And I think the kid does deserve praise because he's trying to show that he wants to be there and he's trying to show that you know some of these uh, role players have been really disappointing for them and he's going to offer something so i i think you could say hey good good job in what you decided to do here and that's being a good teammate that's showing that you really want it and then saying that that actually caused them to win mm-hmm. which i do not believe ding ding you don't want me to answer that uh, well i'll look I'll look at the film and let's just say that I'm very disappointed in the way the game was managed. Steve obviously okay after being injured earlier. Nice drive and finish by Carl Anthony Town. And a technical foul. And if that's on Towns, he's gone. They get Towns for a second technical. He's gone. They're already without Butler. Wiggins is in foul trouble, and now Towns is done for the night. And T got tossed too. Uh, in, in what amounted to a really, really bad Friday night of sports, if you're a sports fan in this town, you had the Wild get whooped by Colorado, go for a hockey lost in, in route to being swept in two games by Penn State, and then there was that, the Wolves lose at Utah. So the Wolves are now uh, two games into an eight-game stretch collar against very good teams. They've lost to Portland and Utah. In your mind, how big of an uphill climb is this now going to be for the Wolves, who, by the way, as of this morning, are in uh, fifth place in the Western Conference to be a playoff team? Because I said going into this uh, eight games, it was going to be incredibly tough. It has been so far. And, And you brought up a point on the Saturday show, which I think is very intriguing and I think ends here. Unless this team finds a way for the offense and for basically every important possession to go through a uh, cat 
Mm-hmm. If it does not find a way, whether it be Towns himself or Tibbs, if they don't find that, this team is going to be completely lost. Everything has to go through Carl Anthony Towns. The thing that frustrated me about the Portland loss, even more than the Utah loss, was that Tibbs was getting criticized for not drawing up plays to give Carl Anthony Towns the basketball. But I think that Carl Anthony Towns not demanding the basketball is one of the reasons why you need Jimmy Butler so badly. Because you need someone who will demand the basketball at the end of the game. You need somebody who's going to be playing hard and not accept losing the whole time. And Now, Carl should never have been thrown out of that game against Utah. I think it's a very different game. But when I look at Carl Anthony Towns' The, the, the whole picture on him. Yeah, we can criticize some of his defensive play here or there. You can pick it out. You can watch. Say, why didn't he switch there? Why didn't you know, why did he go for a block when he shouldn't have? You can nitpick away at that. He's one of the best offensive players in the entire NBA. Uh-huh. He basically is like Dirk Nowitzki right now with his true shooting percentage, his three-pointers. Uh, the other night, he's falling out of bounds. He goes opposite hand and, and, and makes an incredible shot. I mean, he's just an unstoppable force. And so you get to the end of these games and you need someone to take over. It should be him. Wiggins, it, you know what you're going to get from him at the end of the game. Wiggins can't do it's it. It's an 18-foot fadeaway yeah. over Ricky Rubio as opposed to taking him to the hole. He's incapable. So somebody has to say, Jimmy is out. I am taking this into my own hands. And, and in that instance, I think since we were just talking about the Wild, Jeff Teague decided he was going to throw a shoulder to at least flash a little bit of passion. And uh, I think, you know, then Jimmy Butler ends up getting on Twitter to uh, say, yeah, good job, to Jeff ball T. with Crowder. But, yeah, but I, think that 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 was was, I think that was Jimmy's point was like somebody show some fire here. There is Without Jimmy Butler, the Wild and the Wolves have a lot of the same problem. A ton well, of Wiggins talent. Wiggins has zero passion. Yeah. Wiggins, yeah. I and, and the scary thing now is that the more that you watch him, the more you say, because I really thought, Matthew, in these in these uh, games with Butler out, that if there was ever a time for an Andrew to step in and play, you know, I mean, because now you're not concerned about, oh my gosh, Butler has to touch the ball, and should I shoot the ball, or should he shoot the ball? And you watch him play, and the lack of aggression and passion is mind-boggling. But that being said, Towns has to touch the ball. And the other thing is, uh, to your point before, the uh, the official, Kane Fitzgerald, who gave Towns the second tech? That's, that's just Do crazy. we really tune that's in? Crazy. Do you really tune into ESPN for uh, the second game of a of a national double header to see Kane Fitzgerald throw out Carl Anthony Towns? You know, what I really- if they didn't if they didn't send a memo to the officials and say this can't happen, gentlemen. I mean, he basically said, "Where's the damn call?" The the best part of that game was Doris Burke ripping the referee for throwing out Carl, mm-hmm. and then Doris Burke ripping Andrew Wiggins for not taking over, taking bad shots, or just not looking like he really wants to win this game. And with uh, Wiggins, he's one of the most frustrating players I think I have ever seen. Just play sports in general, just frustrating because when he does drive to the basket, he can rise up over anyone. He can dunk over anyone. He I mean he can do almost anything. And yet when it was the it was just a definitive Wiggins play when they got a switch and he's one on one with Rubio 
and he tries a, a Kobe Bryant post move fadeaway from 18. Yeah, like, which is what he loves to do. How are you not taking Rubio to the basket? I mean, Rubio is what, 6'3, 6'4? You're 6'8. Yeah. You got 30 pounds on the guy. And we know for a fact that when you want to, you can do exactly that. Right. But there's no question about it. Rise up over him and dunk on his head. There's no reason that you can't do that. And I know that Rudy Gobert was playing in this game, and he's like nine feet tall, and he's their great rim protector. But you, but in that situation, you've got to switch one-on-one with Rubio, and you're not taking it to the basket. If you won't do it then, then you won't do it ever outside of in transition. And I don't know what Tibbs is supposed to do. You can't change the DNA of these players. You can bring in Jimmy Butler to have a guy who's like that and who I changes think, your franchise, and but I you think can't Towns, change those guys. And I think Towns will, will be fine. I think Towns gets it completely. Uh, but when it comes to Wiggins, you watch him now and you say, all right, I've seen you play really well, let's say, against Cleveland. Every time you play Cleveland, you're fine. So you got that. You got that gear. But you elect to use that gear right now, what, one out of ten games? I mean, it, it is remarkable to watch him understand the potential talent that is there and understand how little he uses that talent. That's the frightening thing. And this is a guy who is under a max contract starting next season. Right, yeah. I so, mean, that, I mean you've what, gone all in really, there. That's what really kills you. With Towns, though, like this is this is your time, buddy. You've played, if you're Towns, you have played alongside uh, Andrew Wiggins long enough to know that Wiggins is not going to be the guy that you want to turn to. Every every fifth, every tenth game, maybe, he'll just take over, he'll score 40, he'll be great, that's fine. Uh, but you can't count on that from a night-to-night basis. And when you have a big game against Portland mm-hmm. and you are winning in that game and things start to get hairy, okay, Jimmy isn't here because his knee is messed up. Jimmy's tweeting so, from home. So you have to, as as Carl Anthony Towns, you have to be the star now. You have to make sure that your team does not blow this game on mm-hmm. the road against Portland. Like, And he didn't do it. It, it. That's what drives me absolutely crazy when Tibbs gets criticized for this. I don't. Well, I don't care do how you, you do it. it. I don't care. I don't like, care if it's Tibbs or Towns. You've got to find a way to get Towns the ball consistently. But do you think it matters in Houston at the end of a game when James Harden demands the basketball? What his coach is dialing up? Does it you matter at all? You know what you need. You need Jimmy Butler to come back and talk to him. Yeah, because he's the only one. Because he's the only one I think who scares him. I, I, I think Jimmy Butler needs to go in and say, "Gentlemen, as long as I'm not here." Carl Anthony Towns is going to get the basketball in the fourth quarter, and by the way, it's going to be a lot. I'm not sure that there's any real way to spark that in Carl. I think you just need Jimmy to be back. I, I really, well, you're not I, getting I back to are, the playoffs. You I, might not make the playoffs. I think we are at the point where we can say we know what Carl is and we know what Wiggins is, and Carl is one of the best basketball players in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But you cannot rely on him to pull you out of something like this. So you just have to survive and hope that you slide into the playoffs. And then I think they're a little dangerous if we're talking about... Well, if Butler's um, back, it, yeah, it yeah. completely uh, changes things. Um, Mackie out, collar in, uh, plenty of Vikings talk. Of course, we're going to get back to the quarterback speculation. Actually, let's, let's though, you, you found a Peter King piece today that basically gives a play-by-play of how backwards NFL executives think. Let's get to that next. Mackie and Judd with Matthew in for Philip. Mackie and Judd, Matthew Collar in uh, for Philip today. Phil back tomorrow. Got some big, uh, some very interesting, juicy Brian Dozier news that we're going to get to a next segment, Matthew. Uh, but as uh, as promised before, why don't you give us the highlights of the Peter King piece on uh, the UCLA quarterback Rosen? And uh, I think this encapsulates perfectly 
how backwards NFL executives are when it comes to uh, talking about prospects and especially quarterback mm. prospects. This is why I think they paralyze themselves with over-analysis when it comes to that position. So uh, let me just say this about Josh Rosen, if you don't know who he is. <clears throat> excuse me. He's the USA uh, UCLA quarterback who is a likely number one or has a good chance to be number one. Really, all five of the top quarterbacks have a shot at being the top quarterback off the board. But uh, for me, Rosen is the best, the most talented quarterback that is in this draft. So he's at the top for me. So Mm -hmm. this is what Peter King writes that he has discerned, not his own opinion, that he is discerned from being at the NFL Combine about Josh Rosen, what some of the uh, NFL executives are saying. He has three three points. The first one, he says, football isn't important to Rosen because he's a rich kid whose mom is the great-great-granddaughter of the founder of Penn's prestigious Wharton School of Business and whose dad is a renowned spinal surgeon. And uh, Rosen once put a hot tub in his college bedroom. Uh, rich kids can't have the same drive as lower-middle-class kids. Now, this is what executives are saying, not Peter King. Yep. Uh, number two, he's a crappy leader. He questions authorities. And uh, authority and his teammates roll their eyes at him. And number three, he's too smart for his own good. He's anti-Trump, into politics, and cares about the planet. Quarterbacks need to be myopic, football only. (laughs) Now, to be clear, again, Peter King later writes that he thinks all of that is nonsense. And he thinks that Rosen is a very hardworking, dedicated, very smart guy. But, you know, the one thing that I notice from being around NFL players all the time is that you don't make it in the NFL by being a dummy. That the dumb guys might come in as rookies and might hang around on the roster for two, three years, but they get weeded out pretty fast. The guys, if somebody's been in the league for over four or five years, what you end up with is usually that they are very bright guys. And I can name 15 of them off the top of my head from the Minnesota Vikings, Um, especially at the quarterback position. And there is no more intelligent quarterback in the NFL than Aaron Rodgers, who also doubles as the best quarterback in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And so all of this stuff being criticized because your dad is a spinal surgeon is just madness. But just like with Lamar Jackson being a wide receiver, you always have to wonder who wants what. By putting that out there, does somebody hope Josh Rosen drops? So they say all that stuff to Peter King. Yep. And they're like, ah, just put it out there, and I hope he gets to us at 15, right? So I don't know how much of this is just the NFL culture. I believe probably some percentage. And then I also wonder what games are getting played. But that's hilarious. I mean, that's so funny. Cares about the planet. Get him out of here. But where I I believe that there are executives who think like this is because a guy like Christian Ponder got drafted in, in the first round. And Christian Ponder was a very intelligent guy. But how long did it take for you to see him and say to yourself, this is not a dynamic person? In a quarterback, that's what I want, right? Like a starting point of a quarterback is, can this guy lead my team? Can he, in the face of pressure, thrive? Can he step into a huddle and own it? And the Vikings looked at Ponder and somehow came to the conclusion, oh yeah, absolutely. It didn't take you that long to realize he's a really smart dude and he is a beta personality. And so I just, I think that part of the problem with the quarterback position is these teams paralyze themselves mm-hmm. and in going through the, the motions of, 
Well, he put, I mean, he put a uh, hot tub in his dorm room. That is not going to be acceptable. Or, or he likes politics. He's got, oh my God, he's got opinions. Oh no, not that. Yeah. Not that. No, he, he thinks about uh, Trump and the presidency. We don't want that. We want him to be apolitical. So I, I just, I think teams cause themselves so many problems by going down this path of, and plus, and this is not true of all teams, Matthew, but I think it's true of some teams. They're essentially stuck in 1958, right? Yeah. Athletes should, these quarterbacks should shut up and do their job. And if they can't do their job and shut up, I don't want them. It's just, it's it's already hard enough, I think, to identify guys who are going to be successful at times. And there are a lot of teams that make it harder. They don't make it simpler. Like, the Rosen stuff to me is intriguing. If I'm a team, I'm intrigued by this. I think one of my favorite parts of that is... Um that he like has the, has the other interests because i mean all these other athletes have other interests how about damian lillard he looked pretty good didn't he the other night that guy actually ha- is a successful rapper on the side he's like a successful musician but the nba I mean, accepts their players yeah i know way I know, better that's the but diff- even, yeah but even with even with the nfl i mean aaron Rodgers is like a very well-read smart kind of guy and and even just as funny is the questions authority yeah because i've never seen a quarterback who could be like a little bit of a pain in the butt right like you've never seen a quarterback who would go to the sideline tom brady and yell at people or get in an argument earlier this year tom brady on the sideline was in an argument with i think it was josh mcdaniels yeah, it was. against in, the buffalo bills yes yes a like, very heated exchange like this is what you actually want yes is so the way i look at this is there are people who color within the lines, people who color outside the lines. Mm-hmm. And how about Brett Favre for questioning authority, by the way? Uh, and the people who color outside the lines for quarterbacks are the ones who could be more imaginative and creative as actual football players mm-hmm. than the ones that we kind of criticize, like Sam Bradford, who was a very, very, very talented, I mean, absurdly talented quarterback. But one of the criticisms I had was he always went with the right check down. Every single time. Yes. Third down and seven. Yes. Four-yard check down every single time. And so maybe this stuff with Rosen means he's going to rub some people the wrong way. Or maybe he isn't going to get along perfectly with everyone. I do recall Aaron Rodgers being called a bad leader by Greg Jennings. Uh, so so th- that whole leadership thing, I, I understand where that's coming from. And when you have somebody who does think for themselves and who is outspoken, then uh, you can... Uh, frustrate people that you work with. But if you have the right coaches around you, yep. like when I listen to John D. Filippo talk, the new Vikings offensive coordinator, and he talks about trying to make the most of what everyone does well, I mean, I don't think that that mentality exists for across the NFL. So Rosen would have to be with the right type of coach, I think, that isn't going to try to just force him into a mold right. because the guy's imaginative and creative that also gives you a chance, I think, of being a special quarterback because that I believe that's what's required to be a special quarterback. And if I'm a head coach or a coordinator right now, I would much rather take on a guy who's headstrong. And I'm not I don't want a guy who is a who's going to be a character problem and whine and moan and complain, Jeff George type. But if you're telling me that the kid is incredibly smart and, and headstrong, and then choice two is sort of a guy who goes along with things and doesn't question things and his teammates like him, but he's not dynamic. I'll take choice A there. 
You've got a higher ceiling with choice A. Yes, choice B might cho- choice B might be safe, and he will probably do exactly what I want. But choice B also, if it comes down to fifty seconds left in the game, and he's the guy. There's a very good chance choice B is going to be like, well, I'll do what you want here, but I, I am not Mr. Dynamic. Now, I want Mr. Dynamic. Here's something else that comes up, as you might expect. Now, every quarterback with a personality, including Baker Mayfield, it's not fair to him, and it certainly isn't fair to Josh Rosen, gets compared to Johnny Manziel. Who never should, who never should have been taken in the first round if anybody had truly done their homework. Right, Johnny Manziel had been arrested and stuff like that in college, yes. and had really been not like in trouble, but always given a pass. Mm-hmm. And you see him now, Johnny Manziel, comeback season, yeah. everybody, because he point. expects the world to just cater to him because he's Johnny Manziel. Yes. That type of entitled attitude is not what I see from these other guys. Yep. I see an overcockiness from Mayfield that concerns me a little bit. Like, does he run too hot? And there's going to be some ups and downs there. I see with Rosen him possibly rubbing some people the wrong way because he is like this, but these are not comparisons to Manziel. And what was Manziel? He was a coke addict. The other but thing he too. Also That's was kind of a big difference between that him and that. A rich kid. So now the rich kids. Oh yes, the rich but kids. My point now is, oh my God, we can't take a rich kid. Look at Manziel. You're right. Which is great because I'm I'm reading this book uh, called The Making of a Quarterback by Bruce Feldman, where he follows around. Uh, kids who become quarterbacks. Uh, there's a couple that you would recognize that are in the book that he's following around and he's talking with Trent Dilfer at this quarterback camp about these different guys. And how, the thing that is a theme in the book is just how all quarterbacks now, or a very high percentage of them, have these quarterback guru coaches that they get paid thousands and thousands of dollars for. Like, if you're looking at this draft, there's probably a lot of rich kid quarterbacks in it. And you're looking at the NFL, there's probably a lot of rich kid quarterbacks in the NFL, some who have had right. a, a lot but of success. But the last one failed, and the, so we're all concerned. Now to, every team's concerned. Right. To make you're any right. sort of connection there is just preposterous. And it doesn't surprise me at all that these things come out. And they also make the offseason hilarious. I just It's just so funny that these things end up coming out. Just like how every day either Kirk Cousins is a Viking or not a Viking. Mm-hmm. Like la- like yesterday. That's all your fault. Yeah, yesterday it was Lock on Forest says, no, 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 he's a Viking. Yep. And then a guy from Denver comes out and says, hey, wait a minute, he, he could still go to Denver. It's just, it's just madness, and I love it. Is Brian Dozier uh, done as a twin? We discuss next. The brand new 1500 ESPN app is here. Stream live shows, download podcasts, read the latest Sportswire articles, and more all in one place. Still need a reason to download it? We're spending the next month giving away a $50 Red Cow Red Rabbit gift card every day and a 55-inch TCL Roku TV every week. But you have to have the app to access the contest entry form. Download the new 1500 ESPN app in the Apple Store and Google Play Store now. Thank you very much, sir. Jonathan in for uh, Dave Harrigan today. Matthew Collar in for Phil Mackey. I think Harrigan's out till the middle of the week. Uh, Mackey back tomorrow on the show. That's week, Harrigan. Now uh, he went to run. He went to New Orleans, I believe, to run in, in some event or something. So anyway, uh, here is the interesting news regarding Brian Dozier, and this comes from a Jim Suhan column uh, who used to appear on this show in the Star Tribune this morning. It's been picked up nationally, and I'm looking uh, at a. Um, 
at an ESPN report that summarized it. Brian Dozier reiterated that he expects to become a free agent after not having any talks with the Twins on a contract extension this offseason. Uh, Dozier told Suhan, quote, I will be a free agent this fall. That's the bottom line. You can only say you want to be here so much and nothing gets done. That's just the way it is. I understand everything. At the same time, you're six months away from free agency, and that's intriguing. Dozier, who is 30, will make $9 million this season in the final year of a four-year contract. He told the Star Tribune that there have, quote, not been any talks with the Twins about exploring an extension. So, your options are this. You go to Dozier at some point in time during the course of this season, Matthew Collar, and uh, talk to him about an extension. You allow the contract to lapse and allow him to potentially walk away because you certainly have some second base and shortstop prospects uh, who could replace him. Or if things don't go as planned, or perhaps if they do, you look at trading him during the course of the season. I will say, in the Twins' defense here, we are we became so used to if the Twins liked a guy, they tried to sign him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if Dozier, I mean, we like you. And now, now there did come a point where if they became too expensive, the Twins would try and trade that player or that player would walk away. But we also had, with a guy like Doge, we said, oh, we love Doge. And so the Twins would, would try and, and keep him. Where I don't mind this strategy, a little bit at least, is in this. The free agent market was so soft this you know this past winter that you could have him play out this contract and say explore your options mm-hmm. and he could go explore his options and guess what get lowballed and lowballed again and come back so so if if you're playing a game of chicken here with the way that the free agent market shook out in the past few months it might not be that dumb a game of chicken. I think the concern would be that you missed your opportunity to trade him for a pretty good pitching prospect last year, and now you've gotten to the point where you're a team that's ready to compete, and he's a major part of that. You look at his last two seasons, 38 home runs on average, mm-hmm. 871 OPS. I mean, mm-hmm. He's developed into one of the best second basemen in the NFL. Uh, in the NFL, I'm used to saying the NFL in in Major League Baseball. <laughs> he's no Kirk Cousins. No, we all know no that. Kirk, or Teddy. I, uh, he's better than Keenan. You know what I don't like is that he thinks for himself. Those are things for <laughs> well, he's himself. He's worried about the. He's worried about the planet. Okay, <laughs> Mother Earth. I mean, who cares about Mother Earth? But, but he's become one of the best second basemen in the league, and. That's pretty darn valuable to have for a team that wants to show it can compete, even though they're still thinking about the long term. Clearly, they didn't dole out a gajillion dollars this offseason to try and win the World Series this year. And where Houston and New York sit, uh, that sets a new bar. But if you're letting a 40 home run hitter go and you're trying to compete with those teams, that becomes pretty tough. Uh, with players now looking for seven-year contracts and things like that, those rarely work out very good. So you end up at kind of an impasse here where you didn't really trade him where you were supposed to or where you needed to, which was last year. Mm-hmm. Then he had a great year, and everyone loves him, and he's a valuable part of a team that can compete this year for a division. It's it's very, it's very tricky, but I, I think you're right that if Major League Baseball stays the way it does, with the prices all coming down for free agents... Bordering on collusion, right, yes. Right, then Dozier is going to have a much tougher argument that he can get paid a lot more somewhere else. But I do think that he's a player you really want to keep. I, I mean, at least for the next five years, I think he... Up to 35, 36? I, yeah, I think that that's... 
And the players' my, primes are extending a little farther out than they used to now, my, and I, I would think that he should be a core piece until then. My point being is I don't think because there have been no talks um, in the past few months with the Twins and because Dozier is saying, well, uh, I'm going to be able to hit the market if I don't sign here, I don't think that's a sound-the-alarm huge deal. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that is because the market went so soft. I think there's probably some strategy here by the Twins, which is pretty smart. Because I mean, if second baseman were at a premium and we're getting gobbled up, you might say to yourself, okay, he is really good, and, th- mm-hmm. and th- this is really going to cost us if we elect to try and retain him either in season or after. But that's not the case right now. And so it's just it's interesting to watch because the default position of Twins fans, Collar, is this. The Twins are just cheap. And yes, there have been times, no question, you can't argue this, that the Twins have been cheap. Uh, I think there's a difference, though, between being cheap and actually having strategies negotiating-wise, at least, that we haven't seen here before. And I think this might border on two more than one. I think this might actually be a strategy where where you tell Brian, okay, Brian, explore your options. That's fine. And then he comes back and says, well, I just did, and it's not great. And you say, okay, let's sit down then and do something. So I don't think that this... I don't think that, that the news that's out there right now should lead to the perception that he's automatically gone. It certainly feels that way, though, doesn't it? I mean, but because the, of his comments, the, though, but I don't think he's, he's necessarily right. But the part of that quote where he says, oh, there's only so many times you could tell them you want to be here, mm-hmm. I, I think that does give us a window into his frustration. And it, it seems, and I don't know exactly the circumstances of him being asked by Jim Suhan the, these questions. But, I mean, was he prepared with these responses? Probably not. So it's probably just off the cuff. Yeah, I think it's kind of where he stands that he's frustrated. Yes. Yeah, that, that he's frustrated yes. that this hasn't happened yet. And uh, if you're the twins, it, it's it's a tough line to walk because you do have that reputation of people thinking that you don't spend big, even if it's not fair. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. You don't want, as a new regime, to let a guy who's hit 42 and 34 dingers at second base walk out the door right after you got here, really, and and have built up a lot of cred. I, I think that this new front office has done a great job so far from the progress they made last year to an offseason, especially with the Odorizzi trade, yep. that makes them look really smart. And your bullpen is much improved as well. I mean, they traded nothing. They traded Jonathan for Odorizzi. Sorry, Jonathan, you got to go to Tampa hey, Bay. Did, Sorry, buddy. Nothing. Did they trade you to Tampa? They, they, I guess so, but I didn't realize I was nothing. Well, yeah, that's not very nice. Okay, they traded. They traded I mean, your skills aren't great. Oh, mine aren't, but yeah, that's true. They traded our third string backup producer. For Jake Oder, I'm sorry. Jonathan. They traded that's Harrigan, too, basically. That's, that's too rough. They dealt Harrigan. You're just killing me. No, but they. In all, oh, in all seriousness, Jonathan, take shots back. It's okay. You're, you're the you're the man. You do a great job. I appreciate but they it. traded the the fourth <laughs> backhanded. Fourth best. I don't believe it, but shortstop I'll, prospect. I'll take it. Yeah, I know. That's what they traded. No, it, it it's was nothing. A, I know. Tampa Bay was giving away players, and, and and so so my point is just that the front office looks great right now. Right, they, they look like they but know what's not, going on. They've got all these great prospects. But if if I'm them, I'm not going to have have uh, Brian Dozier dictating the terms of how I'm going to do things. If I want him back, I'll yeah. tell him I want you back. Yeah, and if they want to say let's wait, and it let's may, see how it plays out. It may matter who they have coming up through the system too. Well, yeah, it may matter. Well, you that, can move I, if if Royce Lewis is going to be ready. Let's say in a couple of years or so. I mean, you could easily have a situation where you move Polanco to second, Gordon to second. There are options here. I just don't. I don't think Brian Dozier uh, telling reporters 
that he is that he has not been talked to yet means that the twins don't want him. I think with the old twins, we would be able to surmise that they don't because they couldn't pay him. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that's the case here, and I'm not convinced that we we have to. When you restructure a front office as much as the Twins have, it almost takes, I think, about a three-year window to see what their philosophies are. Does it annoy you that he said this stuff as opposed to being like, hey, look, I really don't want to talk about it, and I'm just going to play baseball and worry about that? Uh, because I could see where... I'm maybe, a little bit surprised he opened up this much about it, yes. Because I, I could see the other side of the coin that... You know, people want him signed, and he's a very popular player, and he's been fantastic, especially the last two years. But even going back farther than that, I mean, but he's increased the on base percentage, the the power output, all those things to be a a, a top notch second baseman. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming out and saying it like that, like putting it on the organization, making it sound as if they're not interested in keeping him, which probably isn't really he true. He sounds like he's trying to force their hand, and I don't yeah. think it's going to be forced here. Yeah, yeah. And I could see how that would come off as being like, yeah, this team does have a reputation for not spending as much money as maybe people want them to. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't know how well Twins fans and, and the Twin Cities in general, the sports fan, mm-hmm. receives that sort of thing, receives that I'm going to put it out there in the media that right. I am uh, interested in a new contract or <clears throat> or trying to negotiate that way. I don't know if that comes across very well. Are you annoyed with the Twins and or Dozier? 651-646-8255. Mackie and Judd, Matthew Collar in for a fill today. Jonathan producing in place of Dave Harrigan. And uh, we're talking about the Brian Dozier story that the Star Tribune Jim Suhan had today. And also uh, Twins Daily had a couple of weeks back, I believe, in which uh, Dozier is talking about the fact that he expects to become a free agent this offseason after not having any talks with the Twins on a contract extension. Which leads to the question, are you annoyed uh, by the Twins on this or by Dozier coming out and talking about this now in what has so far been a uh, pretty quiet Twin Spring Training Camp. Let's go to the phone lines. Ted, how are you? Hey, guys. How are you? Great. Um, I, I think the big thing here is that it's getting a little bit more publicity because it's now by the Star Tribune being picked up by a bigger news outlet than Twins Daily. But I think the thing really that it comes down to is Dozer wants clarity, wants a deal longer than this year, and the Twins want the opposite to be able to you know, make the decision at the time of their choosing. And I think you hit on the market's weak. And they saw that with a, you know, an attempt to try and trade him for something that at whatever point they want to bring him back, you're not probably going to have to break the bank for a really good player at a position that isn't considered a must. So the Twins are waiting. I don't think that there's really a problem with it. Thank you, Ted. So you're basically saying, Ted, that... uh, It's a game. That both sides have their reasons to be where they are. I think from... Brian Dozier's standpoint, uh, maybe he shouldn't come out in Twins Daily, Star Tribune, wherever else he might have said it, that and say these things like offering this challenge. I know that he could be fiery. We saw that last year when he challenged the front office after they did some selling of Twins great Jaime Garcia. Uh, it was one fantastic start, I Matthew. Will never forget the, the memories Jaime of Garcia that era. moment in Oakland are oh. will be with me forever. Was it Oakland? 
Uh, (laughs) The Jaime Garcia era should never be forgotten. But I mean, that was a good trade, by the way. They got a good prospect. But when he came out like that and said, we want to win, and it's frustrating to see the front office make a move there and and sell when we want to be in the playoffs, uh, I thought that that was good for the team. And if you're in the front office, I think you looked at that and said, that's exactly the type of attitude that we want from core players. So good for him for having that attitude. Mm -hmm. Now, this. I think if you're Felvey and Levine, that might rub you a little bit the wrong way with him trying to push you into something through the media. I don't think that there's much appreciation from that from the front office, I would say. I know that there's the games that get played. Yeah. Uh, but Do you think these guys care, though? These guys strike me as the type not. of executive, too. Absolutely. They might be slightly annoyed when they see it, and then they don't care. I think that it's from Dozier's standpoint, it's not really necessary. I'm I'm interested in knowing, so I'm glad he said it, how he feels about this. But when it feels like he's just trying to put it out there to make the front office look cheap and bad and kind of play into that. he's doing that, though? I mean, he is just being truthful yeah, about, maybe. What, about what he wants. I, I get why he's doing it. I'm a little bit surprised he did it in this circumstance because uh, he's been around for a while. It doesn't take a lot. When a reporter starts to ask you questions about this, you can pretty quickly deduce that that this is going to be a headline and main story. So I'm a little bit surprised he talked about it, but I think he's just basically saying, I'd like to be here, and you're right. He's putting, he's trying to put some pressure on them. I think they don't care. Yeah, may, I think maybe, Falvey and maybe. Levine do not give a damn. There is a different way to go about that, to make it clear that you want to be here without coming off so uh, is defensive the right word or just like where you're trying to spin it a, a certain way to make it seem like they don't want you. I very much doubt that the twins don't want him, but everything is an economics decision right. like you're talking about. And like, uh, was it Ted? They, they called in and said second base might be a position where you can replace or where there might be a guy coming through the system that you can replace. But now, I mean, it, it let's just assume that Dozier now sees this as I don't, want to stay here and I'm going to hit the free agent market and you know this team has disrespected me or something like that let's just say yep well now you almost feel like you left an opportunity on the table to trade him last offseason when maybe his value was higher oh, you, because he had the year under contract you probably did yeah but they took him they took him to market and guess what they found out they found out that the return if they could have gotten the return from the Dodgers that they wanted, mm-hmm. which was De Leon and another top prospect. Mm-hmm. They would have pulled the trigger in a second. And the Dodgers said, De Leon and nothing else, I believe. And Tampa Bay came along with, with their prospect and said, fine. And De Leon, or their, their I believe, second baseman. Was it Logan said, fine. Yes, it was. Yeah. And so they said, fine. And they took the prospect. And I think De Leon had Tommy John. Or he, he was certainly hurt throughout the season last year. So I don't fault the Twins. I think what we're just finding out right now is that the market for Dozier a year ago when, when the Twins tried to trade him was was weaker than they wanted or expected. And now I think what they're thinking is, okay, with, with the way things went um, with players signing this winter, the Twins are banking on the fact that the same thing's going to happen with the market and that Dozier is going to hit the market and think he's going to get rich and he's going to get nice offers, not great ones. The, the difference between last offseason situation and what's going to happen here in the future with Dozier if they don't resign him is last offseason we were all into, hey, you know, 2020. That's when the Twins will be good again. 2020, that was, baby. That was me. And, yeah, and, no, and me right. too. And I expected the Twins to take some steps forward, but not that many steps forward. Mm-hmm. Now... You want them to be competitive year in and year out and have a chance at some point here to compete for the World Series. And 
letting a guy who's hit 42 and 34 homers walk out the door doesn't really seem to get you closer to that. And that's where the perception of where they stand with Dozier is difficult now, whereas last offseason, I think people would have been okay with it. I think if you were, all right, they traded him for some big prospect because they're rebuilding under Felvey and Levine. All right, we're all in on this direction. Now, the, the look of it, the perception of it, is a little more difficult to sell mm-hmm. if you let him walk because people want this team to win now. And I think deservedly so after what they did last right, year. Right, because they've taken steps. Yep. As the Cousins turns, yes, there is more of speculation, actual news about Kirk Cousins, and is he going to be a Viking? Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.